0: in scripture. Jesus made it very clear that a decision to follow was a decision to die to surrender <clears throat> everything to him. And so Jesus turns to the crowd, and he turns to you and me, and he asks the one question that will ultimately define our lives. Are you a
1: fan or a follower? So we're continuing our series, not a fan, um, but I was just thinking a little bit when the children's church moment was going on, did you know that Rhett sure likes the pulpit a lot? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying. (laughs) Our passage is out of John chapter 8, beginning at verse 1, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery and the law. Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. It's the word of God for all people. Thanks be to God. I was in a church once, and we had taken in new members. We, we, had, we took in a lot of new members. Um, but these new members had a child, and, and uh, she was living with her fiancé, and they had great hope that they would be able to bring her to this church and that they would be accepted as they were with the hope that the door would open to a deeper relationship with Jesus. And out of that deeper relationship with Jesus, some changes might come about. But one Sunday, that couple was in uh, the hallway of the Sunday school and, and happened to hear a conversation going on with a couple of the matriarchs of the church, uh, some, some folks who'd been there for a long time, and it went something like this. I can't believe they're still going to church. What a terrible example. She's pregnant and not married. And I have family members who think that I'm the one who was wrong for not going to her shower. You can't go to showers and support. Th- th- that if you do that, you're given permission. For that kind of behavior, and the other matriarch was relating a story, a similar story in her family. And I re- do remember as well later on when the couple came up to me and said, uh, "You know, we're leaving," and they explained to me why. They explained to me that they were looking for a place where their daughter could come and be accepted. That that her, their daughter would come and find love over judgment and that this was obviously not that kind of place. And they weren't mad. It wasn't like they came in and said, Can you believe it? And they just said, Look, th- this is what we're looking for. We thought that's what was happening here, but that's just not the nature of, of this church. In our passage this morning, we read about Jesus teaching in the courtyard one morning. I'm sure he was doing his usual teaching. and He's interrupted by a mob that comes in. Now, now, this is not just an angry mob. This is the teachers and the Pharisees and the scribes, the leaders of his day. They bring a woman in, and I imagine much as this picture that they brought her in, and they threw her on the ground in front of Jesus. We found this woman in bed with a man who was not her husband. The law says we stone her. What do you say? Which, by the way, was very smart. The religious leaders of that time were trying constantly to catch Jesus and to trap him. And this time they, they had rules on their side. That th- these rules, surely, what's he going to do with this? Because this is clear. This is in the law. So they're going to trap him with the rules. And rules can do that to us sometimes. They can turn us into angry mobs. Now we don't usually grab pitchforks like Frankenstein and go chasing after people. But much like in that hallway, we might be in a room off to the side talking about somebody, not knowing the impact that we're having somewhere else. And we wonder why once people join the church, they don't stay. And suddenly they're gone, and we don't know why. Well, it must not be me that ran them off. It must be them. Or I heard this one too. They should have just been tougher. Most of us as Christians struggle with self-examination. We love the two by looking at the two by four, or, or the speck in, in our brother's eye, but we have a hard time with seeing that two by four that's in our own. We like to focus outside of ourselves, and I get why we do that. God's Word, it provides guidance, but it also provides commandments, and those commandments, those laws are in there for a reason. They're there to protect us, but if we're honest in that self-examination, there is not one of us, not one, who passes that test. Everyone has intentional sin in our lives things that we know that we ought not to do we have unintentional sin in our lives we have sins of commission things that we do we have sins of omission things that we ought to do but we don't we're imperfect. Oftentimes we forget that the one who is tasked with convicting someone of sin, you know who that is? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who is tasked with convicting a person of sin. Now, the Holy Spirit will use us in someone's life but that's generally not, a, not just a random thought. That's a prayerful uh, discernment th- and, and a relationship that you have with someone that allows you to have those kind of conversations. And the Holy Spirit uses us in those. But every one of us has fallen short. Now, some of us have fallen short in public settings and some of us in private settings, which allows us to kind of put it under the rug and not, it's not as visible. But when we overemphasize following the rules, one of the byproducts of that is that people don't share with us because they look at us on the outside, and we look good, right? Look around you. We look good. We're we're at our best. I mean, you know, do we look like sinners? (laughs) 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 <laughs> good cuz I'm in the right place cuz I'm with you, right? But oftentimes we get s- caught up in this comparing what other people look like with what we know is going on inside of us. And and in that comparison, if if we're always projecting this this facade, people won't come to us because we look good and, and I'm not going to go to somebody who looks like they've got it all together when I'm messed up. I'm going to Look like I got it all together, too, and I'll go cry in the parking lot when we leave, you know? And the truth is that rules can often be cumbersome. Paul spent a lot of time in his writing trying to get across the idea that the law was not bad, but that we are freed from it. And Romans chapter 7 speaks to this. And in that chapter, in verses 1 through th- through 6, Paul says, shows that we're no longer married to the law. A death has taken place, and now we're joined to Jesus Christ so that we might bear fruit for God. But that raised a question for him, well, then, is the law the problem? Is the law sinful? And Paul answers that in the next passage. He says, no, the law is holy and good. It is we who are the problem. When our sinful nature comes into contact with the law, we don't obey we are the issue. And then it goes into a passage that for me was something I hung on to in addiction for years and years because it gave me hope. It's in beginning in verse, cha- verse or chapter 7, verse 13 he talks about <laughs> that which I would do, I don't do, and the things that I don't do, these these things I do. And it, and he was just like, why? Why can't I get this right? I know what I'm supposed to do. Why don't I do it? And he correctly identified it's sin within me that, that takes me down that path and each of us wrestles with that sin within me peace strict adherence to the law is not what saves us Christ saves us the woman in John 8 is looking down humiliated she's guilty she's ashamed she's caught she knows what she did is wrong. They bring her in. And this, this, this time, this breaking of, it's not just breaking a rule. This time, she may lose her life. And they put her down before Jesus. And Jesus kneels down and starts to write something in the, in the dirt. And we have no clue. There are books that have been <laughs> written about what it is. There ain't nobody who knows what Jesus was writing. The religious leaders are waiting for an answer. They know they've got him. Absolutely. How do you get it? You can't get out of this one, Jesus. They caught him by surprise. They're ready to hear him finally, finally submit to their understanding of the law. To look up and go, well, you know, those are the rules. I guess you're right. And he looks up, all right, and he says, if any one of you is without sin go for it, throw the stone, and so they walk away, and I love this because it's the oldest to the youngest, the oldest immediately saw and felt what Jesus was saying, the youngest were probably going, well, hang on. In their passion, they wanted to follow through. You know, I hadn't really thought about this, but this is really appropriate for, for, and Delaney, you hit the nail on the head with this. Sometimes the oldest need to play their role. What happens if the oldest don't walk away? What do the youngest do in their passion and their zeal? But that's not what happened. The oldest walked away and the youngest followed. And Jesus looks at the woman and says, is there anyone left to condemn you? No, no one. Well, neither do I. Go and leave your life of sin. And that's the second point this morning, really, is that rules don't inspire grace. Rules don't inspire grace. There's a math teacher who did something really unusual. He handed out a test and and it was going to be one of those tough end of the year tests and he handed it out and he said very he, said, he told the students he said I want you to read through this whole test before you start and 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 then and then start it. So students began to read through the test and and they're reading through it and they're looking at it and they're going uh-oh. But they get to the end and at the end he had written uh, written you can try and get an A by taking this test, or you can sign your name to the top of it and turn it in and get an A. Most of the students immediately <laughs> went to page one and signed their name and turned it in to get their A. But one of the boys in the class didn't read through the test. He did like many of us and didn't follow instruction very well, so he just started taking the test. He didn't notice that everybody else <laughs> was leaving, apparently. He missed grace by being unaware. He missed grace by being unaware. There was another student who was really smart and 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 she worked hard and she earned her way and apparently she got upset because she'd spent so much time studying for this test that she was I'm going to earn my A, I'm going to take this test and 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 and, and then I'm I'm going to get my A based on principle. You can't just give it to me needed to earn grace. Except that's not how grace works. See, the grace of Jesus, that same grace that saved the woman from being stoned, calls to those of us who've been hauling around a long list of rules and regulations and rituals and obligations. This grace of Jesus calls to each who are tired of pretending to be who they aren't. This grace it calls to those of us who have, who have guilt. It calls to those of us who maybe are, have some fear in, in, in our religious faith. And it's wearing us down. Jesus' response to that is, Come to me, those of you who are burdened and weary, and I will give you rest. Come unto me. Come to me, Caden. I will give you rest. Jesus's message maybe you grew up in a home that taught all about Jesus you went to church on the weekends you went to church camp in the summer you learned to fear Jesus that it, if I have to keep the rules so I don't go to hell I have to follow the rules and get it just right because, because if I don't the consequences for that are, are beyond anything that, that, uh, that I want to experience and when you would sin you'd feel guilty wondering oh no what now? And you were taught to observe religious tradition and rule keeping, but somehow you just never really fell in love with Jesus. We were talking about this kind of this morning. Just never really fell in love with Jesus. You become a fan, you become a fan of Jesus. And that happens because when you come into a situation in which rules take precedence over love and grace, it's hard to fall in love. Think of it this way. When I got married to Kit, there were some rules that I said we would live by. Some of them were written. Some were not. (laughs) Some, you know. But I understood that when I said I do, I said I would be faithful to her as long as we both lived. I'm going to be hers alone, I, I would provide for her. I'm going to do my best to meet her needs, and, and that I'm, I'm going to be committed to her for better or for worse. And I fulfill that. But there were some other things. I didn't know that I was going to have to do my share of the housework. <laughs> Who knew? I grew up in a different kind of home than that. I do laundry sometimes. I there's, there's some stuff I do that I, the more often than others. <laughs> I also didn't know that, that if I hear these three words, are you hungry? I got 30 minutes tops to find a restaurant. <laughs> you laugh because it's true. that I need to be present when she's talking to me. I don't just mean in the same room. I mean that, that that I need to be available and be present when Kit is talking to me. See, if I saw our relationship as just a bunch of rules to keep, I wouldn't be very happy. Kit wouldn't be very happy either. But because I love my wife and I enjoy being her husband, I will do anything for her, and that includes things like doing dishes and Laundry and occasionally the toilet, cleaning stuff, (laughs) or other extravagant acts of sacrifice. It's not always just about rules, right? It's about more than that. In the end, the grace and love of God inspires and frees us to live for him. It was Augustine who said, Who can be good if not made so by loving? Love God and do as you please. Now that sounds like that's awful. That's permission giving, right? Love God and do as you please. But he could say that because he knew that if you love God... You want the things of God. You want to do the things of God that are pleasing to God. So when, when, when he says, love God and do as you please, the things that you're going to want to do are the things that please God. So, yeah, it's permission giving, but it's not what the world would have us believe. It means that we want to seek God. We want to learn more about God. We want to follow the teaching that he gives to us. We want to go where he would have us to go. And that has to be our priority has to be about a relationship with jesus or it wouldn't work and kyle Allman has something for us this morning
0: it's not unusual for me to talk to christian parents who are upset and concerned because maybe a college age child or an adult child is no longer following jesus And the parents usually want to know what happened. They want to know what went wrong. That's a hard question to answer. There's a lot of different possibilities but I I do my best just to listen to the story to encourage them and to pray for their child. But not long ago I was uh, speaking in Houston Texas and after I was done speaking this big man with this big belt buckle came up to me but he had, uh, had tears in his eyes. And he began to tell me the story of his prodigal daughter who had left home and had walked away from her faith, was no longer following Jesus, but he didn't ask me what happened. He didn't seem to be looking for an explanation. In fact, with one sentence, he told me what he thought went wrong. He said, we raised her in church, but we didn't raise her in Christ. Do you ever go to the doctor and get an inoculation, they give you a little bit of a virus to try and make you immune to the real thing. I think that's what's happened to a lot of fans. They got a little bit of Jesus. Maybe at home, maybe at school, at church, a little bit of Jesus and a whole lot of rules. Maybe a little bit of Jesus and a whole lot of tradition. But one of the most deadly things that can happen to your faith is to have just a little bit of Jesus. We raised her in church, but we didn't raise her in Christ.
1: The rules don't keep us around. The rules won't keep us close to Christ. They won't open the door to grace and love. They won't do it. And I want to be as clear as I can and say this carefully. When our kids grow up, and they define Christianity as keeping a moral code instead of defining Christianity as being a follower of Christ they will walk away from both but I've got to make sure they understand the rules and obligations of being a Christian and that's true but I'm telling you if that's the goal is just to have them know the rules and the regulations, to know about Jesus, then they are unlikely to stay because they're not in love with Jesus. We have to define Christianity first and foremost as following Jesus. We can't expect to recruit the world to a set of standards, those the rules that we can't live by. That's not going to draw people to Jesus. A love relationship with Christ is what draws people to Jesus. So first and foremost, it's about following Christ. I read the story this week. There was a Welcome Center volunteer, and she met this woman, and here's uh, what she had to say. She said it was about five minutes till service started, and a young woman, probably in her late 20s or early 30s, walked in with her fifth-grade son and approached me with a kind of deer-in-the-headlights look. She'd never been here and was nervous. We took her to the check-in counter, and she explained to me that she'd been divorced six years ago, and after that she was no longer welcome at the church that she used to go to. So she hadn't been to church since then. And you could hear the guilt in her voice and that she was nervous just being in church. I shared with her that I had been divorced and a single mom and I know how tough that is and once her son was in class I asked her to come to worship with me upon hearing that she said am I allowed to go in the sanctuary since I'm not a member I said yeah when we got to our seats in the service it all I'd already started everyone was standing and singing and after the song the young man leading worship prayed the first words out of his mouth were God Thank you that no matter where our path has taken us in life, you can redeem us and forgive us. And with that, her tears started to flow and really didn't stop throughout the entire service. You could see the fear and the guilt melt away. And as we were standing for a few worship songs at the end of the service, she began to get antsy. I thought she wanted to leave and go pick up her son, but it turned out that that was not true. She wanted to go speak to the pastor So we walked down front, and she leaned forward and whispered in the pastor's ear, I went through a divorce a few years ago, and my other church wouldn't have me. It was really more of a question than a statement. And he said, I am so very sorry. We would love to have you. And here at Arbor Point, we would love to have you. We would love to have you. I don't know what your story is. I know a few. But you're welcome here. Don't know if there's a Christian who bullied you, misrepresented Christ. You're welcome. Maybe it was a church that taught a lot about traditions and rules and regulations, but you never really got around to studying the gospel of Jesus or scripture. Well, you're welcome here. Come. Maybe you grew up in some kind of a religious affiliation where nobody seemed to make a big deal out of grace, but you sure knew all about the the, the rules. We'd love to have you come around and experience what it means to fall in love with Jesus Christ and what that looks like. We're not perfect. We're not perfect. We're not perfect. perfect. (laughs) We make mistakes. We don't always have it together. We love you. We're on a journey together to grow together, to draw nearer to Christ together, and it's going to take us all. Every one of us. You are welcome. Father, this morning, open hearts to who you are. Lord, if we need to embrace finding a way to grow deeper and study, help us to do that. If we need to devote more of our time to you, help us to do that. If we need to be active in our community, help us to do that. If we need to be still and know that you are God, help us to do that. Lead us, Lord, into the place you prepared for us to be. You know exactly what it looks like. You are our God. We are your people. We're ready.